Welcome to the Faith Lakeside Podcast. Each week you'll hear another great message that will help you know God and make Him known in your life. Join us each Sunday at 1045 a.m. and throughout the week in small groups to make the most of your learning experiences. Now, sit back, relax with a great cup of coffee and a notebook and enjoy this week's message. So today, open your Bibles or your Bible app to the letter of Paul to the church in Colossae. We are continuing the um, Kingdom of the Sun series and wrapping up over the next couple of months this wonderful letter to us. We've only got uh, until the end of July before we'll be done with this. So if you're liking this and enjoying uh, this this letter, savor it because it's uh, it's coming to a close here in the next few weeks. And, you know, we've walked through so much, so much doctrine, understanding the nature of the kingdom of the Son and, and the King, our Savior, Jesus Christ, how to become citizens. And, and now we're finally to the point in this letter where we've moved beyond just doctrine and teaching, and we're really getting to the point of slapping us around as believers and helping us to understand what it means to live rightly. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the puts and and how we are supposed to be taking off, putting away certain things and putting on other things, character traits that are Christ-like. And then this last week, we started talking about how this, this truth of a changed Christian life starts to come home into the household. And so... Colossians 3.17 was kind of the impetus for this, this last little bit of teaching about the Christian life in which we are taught and told, whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him, that every aspect of our life is supposed to be lived for the sake of Christ Jesus toward his lordship, his kingship in our life. And there's not like a limit either. It's not like everything you do on Sunday mornings and when you attend a Bible study, do it for Jesus. Every time you come to VBS, do it for Jesus. But instead, everything you do, word or deed, should be done in the name of Jesus and to his glory. And so today we're going to get into once again some areas in which we will find uh, it's kind of difficult to process in light of where we stand in culture. We, we look at, at the teaching of the Bible, and sometimes we think it's outdated. Sometimes we think it is for another era or another culture. And the truth is, while it was written almost 2,000 years ago, these, this letter and the truth in it is eternal. Because it's based not upon the culture of the day, not upon the opinions of a man, but instead upon the whole teaching of Scripture in which we understand that what is taught is not based upon the fading and changing fads of the day, but instead upon God's eternal design for mankind, which was established that first day he shaped Adam out of dust and breathed life into him and took Eve from Adam's side as his companion, his face-to-face other. And, and so... As we get into this, understand that I am not teaching things that are cultural, but instead things that are God's design. And if you are not a Christian here today, if you were to take these things we're going to talk about today and apply them in your household relationship, then um, they would be of benefit to you because they are good teachings. It's like, uh, you, you know, you maybe don't know a thing about a car, but you put the right fuel in it, you get the oil changed. You don't understand how it works, but you do the right things and good things come. 
Well, that is the truth with scriptural teaching as well. But when we are believers, we're digging a little bit deeper into under the hood and trying to understand how it works. And so uh, we are, you know, well, making the household car run right? I don't know. Analogies break down so quickly when you're trying to express something, don't they? But, but here, here, if you are not a Christian, you can apply these truths and they can make a difference. But as Christians, when we're talking about our households, these are not just good guidelines. These are commands given to us by God according to his eternal design that was shaped that first day in the Garden of Eden. And so if you have your Bibles, we're in Colossians 3, verses 18 through chapter 4, verse 1. And we're going to read this whole section again to help us understand the whole household code, the the way a Christian home is to operate, before we go back and look at just two verses in detail today. So Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 through chapter 4, verse 1. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they won't become discouraged. Slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but work wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done, and there is no favoritism. Masters, deal with your slaves justly and fairly, since you know that you too have a master in heaven. And so Paul, in this letter to the church, is helping them to understand what it is to live in a Christian home. Now, I want you to, to wrap your head around the truth that this teaching is directed toward a household where everyone is a believer, where everyone has made a profession of faith. Now, that does not mean that if you are in a household that you, you are with someone who is not of the same standing as you in faith, that you don't have to apply this. In fact, there are other passages that speak to a household code that uh, talk about if you're a believer married to an unbeliever. But this This passage right here, if you look down the aisle of the people you're sitting beside and go, yeah, we're all believers and we've all made a profession of faith, this is how your home should operate. This is what your household should look like. And and it's important to understand, this is not just guidelines for, you know, seven tricks for a better marriage or a better household or three keys to happiness. These are all commands in God's word. And when God tells us to do something, he commands it, what do you think he really means for us to do? What he's commanded. And, and, and that doesn't mean it's easy, but it, it means it's right, and it's always appropriate. So let's look at the first two verses, because here's what we want to understand, is just because we have seen abuse in, 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 of, of these, these teachings, and people have over-applied them, or under-applied them, or used them to control others... It does not mean that we should then abolish the use of these scriptural truths and commands in our own household. So uh, abuse doesn't abolish the use. And C.S. Lewis says this, he says, the family, it can be offered to God, it can be converted and redeemed, and then will, will then become the channel of particular blessings and graces. 
that when we take the time to apply God's word, to obey his commands, to commit our family and offer it up to the hand of God and follow his design for us, our households can become, instead of a place of strife and struggle, a place of peace and grace. And, and this is true for Everyone, even if you're talking about as we talk through uh, things, you know, we start talking about. Well, we we uh, I don't have anybody else in the house with me, but I've got uh, you know some grandkids or some children I go hang out with, or I've got family members, brothers and sisters that I'm connected to. Many of these same things will apply, and it's also something that we, as the community of Christ, should be affirming in one another. So verses 18 and 19, probably what's going to be the most difficult of the passages, the sections for us to address because of the abuses that we see of, especially this first concept, wives submitting to your husbands. And so as we look at verse 18, I want you to look at it with ladies, understanding that that I'm trying to, to share God's word as clearly and straightforwardly as I can. And that uh, this is not coming from a place of Shelly needs to do more laundry. Um, so it's, I, she laughed, so it's okay to laugh, okay? She laughed. Um, it, it, this, is not, this, is, this is us trying to understand Scripture and live it out together. So here's what it says. This is, remember, directed toward Christian household. Everyone's a believer. Wives, when you're in your household, when, when you're talking about what life should look like, submit yourselves to your husband's as is fitting in the Lord. So this word submit, this is where we get hung up, isn't it? I've done a couple of weddings, and sometimes the uh, brides want this word submit included in vows, that that they're willing to submit to their husbands. Others are like, "Uh uh-uh, I am not submitting. I know what that means. That means means an endless line of sandwiches while he's playing Xbox, right? I mean, it's, it's... I mean, that's a modern interpretation, right? In the past, it would have been sandwiches during some other activity. But, but this, is, this is why it gets so difficult, because it's been abused. And this, this verse and others like it in Ephesians and in First in Peter have been used to turn women into second-class citizens in the church and in the household. And so, ladies, first of all, I want to dispossess you of that notion, that that is not something that this scripture means. This is not about creating a second-tier status for women, but instead, this is about... A godly, Christ-honoring woman who is seeking to do everything in word and deed in the name of Christ Jesus. This is what her place, see that word place, that, 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 that comes off wrong too, doesn't it? Her role in the household is. Wives, submit. Now this word submit, this is, a, the, this is where we get the hang up. So let's, let's define it biblically. Let's define this word as it was meant when, when it was originally written. This letter would have been written and sent to the church, and someone in the church would have stood up and read it aloud. And, and the ladies in the church who are wanting to know how to live out their faith in their household would have heard this word, and here's likely what they would have thought. Not become a slave or be a servant. There's a different word for that. There's a word doulos that actually gets used in scripture that Paul, he uses it of himself. He says, I am a slave, a doulos for Jesus Christ. And so he doesn't mean slave. He says, wives submit to your own husbands. It's a voluntary attitude of giving in, cooperating, assuming responsibility and carrying a burden. 
coming into the relationship and saying, I am willing to come alongside to, to, to give myself over to your leadership in a way that is appropriate to cooperate with you, to, to make us more important than me, and to carry a burden along with you, or to, to carry the burden that is given me. As you seek to, to oversee and, and take care of the household. So, so this word submit, we, we tend to make it something that it is not in Scripture. Understand, here are some, some other places where we see the same word used. Jesus submits to his parents. Luke 2.51, then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them or submitted to them. Same word. He is obedient to his parents. His mother kept all these things in her heart. Luke 2, 51. Now, understand, who is Jesus? God. Second person of the Trinity. In the flesh. And here's Jesus, even as a young man. He's teaching religious teachers. And yet, here we see that Jesus, God incarnate, submits himself to his parents. The right uh, and proper authority that God had established in that part of his life. Does that mean that Jesus was weak? Does it mean that Jesus was second class? No, it, it means that even the very incarnate Son of God understood to be obedient to the design that God the Father had established in creation. Was to submit himself to his parents. Jesus the second person of the Trinity. Scripture tells us that he submits to the Father. Now, Scripture tells us in other places that Jesus and the Father are one. And so we have this, this confusion of the Trinity sometimes. We can't quite wrap our head around it. But it tells us that both are God, and yet the Son, the second person of the Trinity, submits himself to the Father. And yet Scripture also tells us that as one, they are, they are equal in authority and power and essence. And so they, they are indistinguishable in being, and yet the Son is submissive to the Father in role. And so this is what it says. When everything is subject to Christ, then the Son himself will also be subject to the one who subjected everything to him, so that God may be all in all. The Son submits to the Father. He gives himself over to the leadership of the Father. All of us, as Christians, we are supposed to submit ourselves to God, to submit ourselves to the Father. Uh, Hebrews 12, 9, furthermore, we had human fathers discipline us, and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit, this word submit, even more to the Father of spirits and live? See, there is a Father God, who has established life for us, who has given us a path to walk, should not all of us as believers submit ourselves, willingly assume and take on ourselves the burden that he would give us to cooperate according to his plans and designs? Should we not submit ourselves? Other words, where, where Christians are supposed to submit, all Christians are supposed to submit to the government. Now, some of you, I know, don't, please don't, don't be like, yeah, don't tread on me or anything like that. I, I understand that this is a, a hot button issue, but, but scripture says we are supposed to submit ourselves to the authorities and does submit mean absolute servitude and allowing them to own us. No, 
We see in Scripture, we see people stand up against abusive kings. We, we see in Scripture people who, who rat out and, and protect spies uh, against their own nation for the sake of, of godliness and righteousness. All Christians, uh, we're supposed to submit to the government, but it doesn't mean we become slaves. It means we understand we have been placed in a position where we must cooperate and take on proper roles and that God has given us and authority. Romans 13, 1, let everyone submit to the governing authorities, since there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. Titus 3, 1, remind them to submit to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work. Christian, we're all supposed to be submitting to the Father. We're all supposed to be submitting to the government. Uh, Ephesians 5, 21 says we are all supposed to be submitting to one another. Wait a minute. If everybody's submitting, who's in charge? Christ. Christ is in charge. And so this is, this is in effect, the, the family of God. We recognize one king, one leader, Jesus. And so we submit ourselves to one another out of respect for him. But then we come down into the household, and while Jesus is still the king, he has designed the household to operate in a certain way. And it is with submission. And so here we have then, let's add to the definition of submission a little bit. A voluntary attitude of giving in, cooperating, assuming responsibility, carrying a burden based upon a design or ordinance of God. When we submit in the household and in the church, who are we ultimately submitting to? God and his design. Whether it's, it's, it's here in the church or it's at home submission, it's, it's about God's standards, God's design, God's commands. And here's what I want you to understand is in Scripture, it never says submit when someone earns it or is good enough. It's not based upon qualifications or quality or democracy or pragmatism or merit, but it is couched in and and. and affirmed in the very design of God and his commands and being obedient to God. And so when we talk about wives, submit to your own husbands. It is something that is an act of equality and yet willing to set aside your own desires to build up the household and make things according to God's standards. Now, we see, uh, submit to your husbands. How many husbands are you supposed to submit to? Is it just everybody who wears the name husband? No. Your husband. Now, what does this teach us about life in general and how to live together in the church? There are no second-class citizens. This is about building households of peace. This is about building households of of affirmation towards godliness and righteousness. This is not about creating a a second-class status for women in the church. Ladies, if another guy walks up to you and says, make me a sandwich, do you know what you can tell him to do? Not just make it himself. Take it and stick it where the sun doesn't shine. I mean, just in love, in submission, equally to one another. But that's not his place. Men are, are, we are not... In a, in, a, in a place where every wife has to submit to every man, it is wives to your own husband. 
with the heart of building a household that glorifies God and builds others up toward righteousness. Why do you do this? Because he deserves it, right? That's what it says right there. Because he deserves it. No. Because he's a good guy. No. Because, because, no. As is fitting in the Lord. Who are you responsible to ultimately in this act, ladies? God himself. And listen, I... If, ladies, I, I was worried I'd need to get fruit and just ha- have some rotten fruit in the back for you, just, just so you could vent toward me, and I feel it. I, I know, this is not easy for me on one hand, and even me, I'm, I'm trying to avoid eye contact with Shelly to a certain extent, because I just, I want there to be, but, but this is God's word, and I'm trying, to, I'm trying to, to share it with you in a way that we can all walk in obedience toward God's word, and, and be faithful. Because if he gives a command... And says it's based not in the response of someone else, but in your relationship with him. To not follow that command is not about having a, a household that's, that's topsy-turvy or upside down. To not follow that command affects your relationship with Christ Jesus. And that's what I'm most concerned about. I don't, I mean, it'd be great if we all had great homes to go, you know, to go to and everything was peaceful and everything just works out perfectly. That is unrealistic to a certain extent. It will always be a journey and a battle. But what I'm more concerned about is that we're at least seeking to be obedient to God because that affects our relationship with him. And so if your households are peaceful, that's wonderful. But even if they're a wreck, as long as you're seeking to be obedient to God, that's wonderful from my, from my perspective. <laughs> because that's my job is to, to help you to see what's right and to walk in it. To see what God's standards are and to obey. So what we see here is this, this thing where we have an, an address, wives, an admonition or a command, submit to your husbands, and a motivation in the Lord for this is right, right? So, why submit? Here's three scriptural arguments for why submit. It's fitting in the Lord. Jesus is pleased when you submit. It's part of your walk with him, submission is. Ephesians 5, through 24, a different section of scripture that has a household code, it says, code, it says this, the husband is the God-ordained head. And head means responsibility, it means source, it's, a, it's an interesting word in the original language, but, but it, it is, according to scripture, that the husband has a role of leadership in the household that comes not because we're guys and we deserve it, but because God has laid that responsibility on men. And then finally, 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2, those of you women who have Husbands that maybe aren't in the same place with you spiritually, that you feel like you're a little bit further ahead with them than them, and you're struggling with, with submission. Because Peter says, ultimately, submission can be an act of evangelism and helping to disciple your husband and helping to move him along in his faith walk because he sees your faith walk. So these are three reasons to submit, ladies, in addition to the very simple fact of God commands it. Now, just in case you thought you were off the hook, guys, 
Husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter toward them. So love, this, this word love, it, it is such in our culture that it, it, it's become this self-defining thing, right? This, well, love is love, and we, we just, it's all just squishy and feely. And, and so when we understand love in, in this, this word, it, it can have some affection, but it has much more to do with being gracious and loyal and, and compassionate toward so when we look up the word love, it, 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 the definition to welcome. Husbands, welcome your wives into your lives. Be, be gracious toward them. Entertain them. Now that, that is very clearly one of the roles of, of a husband. Uh, Shelly and I, on, you know, as we're laying in bed, getting ready to go to sleep... I'll start making jokes, and, you know, she laughs, and it's all pity laughs, but I feel like I'm entertaining her, and then, you know, it just, that, that's part of our job, right? Dad jokes, you get it, and now, uh, we have bad jokes, too. To be fond of, there should be affection here, but, but when we talk about great affection, care, and loyalty, husbands love, be loyal to your wives, Above all, ever, all, all other women, uh, every other thing in this world, be loyal to them. What, what, a, what a culture we live in where, you know, that's something that's been pushed to the side. And actually, we're encouraged to be disloyal. But loyalty, to love dearly, to have a tender affection for. So, so husbands, you and I, we are supposed to be loving our wives in such a way that they are everything in this world. That they are the center of our affections and our loyalty. Now, of course, Christ first, right? Christ first. That, that goes without saying, because what did I say was the, the nature of this. Well, this is a person who's a believer. But they're supposed to be the, the, the focus of all that you, you are, that you exist for them, in it, not in a sappy way, not in a stand outside with a boom box, you know, but, but not in a you complete me kind of way, but in, a, in a, a real and meaningful way. The center of your existence in this part of life. So what does love look like? According to Scripture, what does love look like? We can look at the definition and, and what the hearers would have heard, but let's look at what Scripture actually says. Ephesians 5.25, love looks like Christ giving himself for the church. Now, we have to go in, and this is, this is actually, you, you could just spend a whole week talking doctrine and understanding the love of Christ for you and I as his church and what his love meant. But we can boil it down to something simple like Jesus as the second person of the Godhead, the second person of the Trinity has all the rights and privileges, all the rights and privileges of God. If uh, Philippians chapter two tells us that he gave up all the rights and privileges of God and came down and put on flesh and became a servant and died a horrific death on a cross to save us. Husbands, 
in light of what Jesus has done and what he gave up to love you. Might it be fair to not go fishing one weekend or two? Might it be appropriate, you, you, you millennial guys, some of you younger Xers, Zetters, to turn off the video games and love your wife? Might it be appropriate to forego the new whatever and give yourself completely toward her instead? To, to, to forego golf? I'm sorry, that's being, that's being... I'm not picking on anybody. Aaron, stop looking at me. To forego golf. Yeah, to, 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 you know, the new gun. Stop, guys. Right? The motorcycle, the whatever. You, you guys get it. The, Will, you've got a list of things you want to get? When you, now, so, so, but do you guys get the picture? And how walking in and walking in from a day of work and demanding to be served is not at all what Scripture is talking about. Jesus himself walks into this earth, and what does he do? He doesn't say, serve me, worship me, bow at my feet, make me king. He gives his life for those who should have been worshiping him. So instead of coming in after a day of work and demanding, we come in and we try and be ready to continue to give. Try and be ready to continue to serve and love. And to stop pretending like the, the things that get done or don't get done are more important than our relationship with our wives. And, and listen, I'm not perfect. Shelly could probably give you a list, a litany of the ways that I have failed in doing this. But I understand what I need to be doing, and I'm trying. I'm trying? Yeah, she's not even willing to shake her head yet. We'll see. Give me another five or six years. But if you look at what God's word has commanded you to do and you don't try at all, you're telling your Savior it doesn't matter. And it does to him. You're telling your king it doesn't matter. And it does to him. And so while you may be falling short, we should never stop reaching for the perfection that he's called us to. Loving your wife is like loving your own body. How many of us guys love our own body? And you go, well, I don't love my body. I look in the mirror before the shower, and it's just, oh, I hate that thing. You know why it looks like that? Because you love your body. You love it with bacon. You love it with pizza. You love it with coffee. You love it with Coke and Diet Coke and Mountain Dew. Oh, I'm picking now, huh? You love your body. How do we know you love your body? None of you came to church naked, and we're thankful for that. <laughs> you love your body. You care for yourself, don't you? In fact, when you don't feel well, you are so tender towards yourself. You are so loving towards yourself. I have the sniffles. I don't think I can do anything this week. <sighs> you know, my tummy hurts. Guys, we love ourselves. We have a tender affection for ourselves. We prioritize ourselves, don't we? We will, we, will, we will push everything else aside to do what we want to do to love our bodies. 
And that is the standard by which we should be loving our wives instead of ourselves. We are in the wrong far too often, men. And we are being far too selfish. And we have these, these standards that have been given to us by dads who were well-intentioned but lived in a culture and an era that abused Scripture instead of lived it out. Here's what else love looks like. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. And a lot of us, we like this passage because, you know, it gets read at a wedding and then we never pay attention to it again. Or we'll write it in a Valentine's Day card and, I love you. But we fail to understand that we're supposed to be living this. Love is patient. It, it waits. It sits. It understands. It's willing to suffer. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love is not boastful. It is not arrogant. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not irritable. Gosh, that one stabs me hard. You know, you don't understand. It's been a long day and I'm tired. It does not keep a record of wrongs. And there's no, like, exception there. Genuine love doesn't continue to keep a record of wrongs. Finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Men, this is how we are supposed to be toward our wives if we are being obedient to the command of God. Patient kind, not envying, not boastful, arrogant, rude, or self What are you doing? <laughs> All right, well, I guess we're done. No, 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 we're not. But, but this, is, this is who we're supposed to be, brothers. So, to love to welcome, to entertain, to be fond of, great affection, care, and loyalty towards, to love dearly. And guess what? It is not based upon merit or reciprocation, but on the design and command of God. Husbands, love your wives. Well, you don't understand. She, she's just, she's so biting. She's, she talks to me and it's mean and hurts my little feelings and it doesn't say that you have an excuse to not love if she is unkind. It doesn't say if, if, if she doesn't do what you think she should do, you don't have to love her like you've been commanded. There is no reason for you, brother, to be able to say, I, I just, I don't want to do that. Because it's a command of God, not based on anything but his design. Now, it is important to understand this. It is to not just make them feel loved, but to genuinely love them. And guys, sometimes we get this in our head. I can be whoever I want to be so long as I bring her flowers once a week. She felt nice for 10 minutes because I, I, I said she looked good in that and, and, and gave her something. There, it's all better and I can just be a turd the rest of the time. No. 
It's not just bring a feeling of affection every once in a while. It is you must genuinely love them as Scripture has described love. And then then we get this, guys. It says this. Love your wives and don't be bitter toward them. Don't be bitter toward them. Now, we can go back into the list of what love is, and we can say, uh, uh, well, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not bitter, it doesn't keep a record of wrongs. And that's really what, what is being said here to kind of sum it all up. Don't be bitter toward them. In other words, do your job as a godly man and stop keeping a list, keeping account, saying, well, I did this nice thing and she didn't appreciate it. And then I, I said this nice thing and she didn't appreciate it. And I go to work every day and nobody appreciates it. And I keep the car running and nobody appreciates it. Suck it up. Don't be bitter. Stop holding grievances. Stop keeping account. Stop going, well, I tried, but she's not good enough. Stop it. Love your wives. Don't be bitter toward them. Now, it's, it's easy to do when we're selfish. And just a quick show of hands. Anybody selfish in here? If you don't have your hand up, you're lying. Or you just didn't understand the question. We, we all struggle with selfishness. And, and so it is. This is why it's wives submit to your husbands because it's what God has asked of you. And husbands, love your wives and, and sacrifice yourself for their sake and don't be bitter about it and don't keep accounts because this is about your relationship with God as much as it is your relationship in your household. Interesting, I, I told you earlier that wives and, and others are going to have this address, wives, admonition, submit, and then you had a, a an explanation for why because it's it's what god wants guys guess what we get an address and then a command and then a command husbands love and don't be bitter our responsibility is such that we are the ones who are supposed to look the most like jesus in the household because we're supposed to love like he loved us And so if we're unwilling to do this, we find ourselves in a place instead of grace and joy, a place of confrontation and struggle. C.S. Lewis, he he actually was a really interesting man. I know I've quoted him a lot, but you you know when you're you're walking the paths of the internet, you you end up sometimes in some place and you like camp out there for a little while. And man, I've been revisiting some of C.S. Lewis's essays that keep popping up on the internet for me. And uh, this one he wrote was, was about, it's called uh, Priestesses in the Church. And all the way back in the 50s and 60s, the church of England was having discussions as to whether or not women should be ordained as priests. And C.S. Lewis writes this, this, um, this essay to explain the biblical standard of priesthood is such that women cannot fulfill it. That, that it takes a man to be a priest, especially in the church, to be a pastor, a, a, an elder. Not, not that women can't serve in the church and have a part, but there's a role that's specific. And it's kind of like 
the role in the household that the husband is supposed to represent Christ to his family. And and C.S. Lewis says this, that we men may often make very bad priests. We men oftentimes make very bad husbands. But it's not because we're not man enough, or because we're too manly, it's because we are not man enough. We are insufficiently masculine. And what he means by that is we don't look enough like Jesus. Because Jesus is the perfect man. And so we oftentimes make very bad priests and very bad husbands because we are insufficiently masculine. But it is no cure to call in those who are not masculine at all. When men fall short, the answer is not ladies step up and take over the men's job. Or men step back and just say, oh well, nothing I can do. But instead... For the men to be fully Christ-like and masculine and look more like him. A given man may make a very bad husband. You cannot mend matters by trying to reverse the roles. Ladies, I encourage you, if you look at your husband, you look at the, the men in your life and go, well, he doesn't do this very good. For you to reverse the roles will not help him do any better. For you to be in a place of authority and saying, I'm in charge and I rule, will not help him to be more Christ-like. In fact, he will give up and walk and hide in the shadows and end up in his man cave. Man caves. Get a library instead of a man cave, guys. Read books instead of drink beer. Not not that drinking beer appropriately is, is the worst thing in the world, but read a book instead. Read an essay by a learned person instead of playing video games. Get rid of man caves. Bring back the library. Okay, that was a freebie. But, but in the household, if your household is not working correctly, the answer is not upset the design of God and try and do it all wrong. Your car doesn't run right. You don't put water in the gas tank. I mean, I know it's designed for gas, but let's try this. It'll probably work better. Instead, you figure out what's wrong and you, you, you make it work according to its design. So living by the code, living by this household code, what's it going to look like in our lives? First of all, it starts with salvation. It starts with salvation. I, I got to tell you, if you are not a believer, you cannot be the kind of husband or wife that God would have you to be. And why is that? Because you cannot be the kind of person that you are supposed to be. You must be saved. You must know Accept and be willing to live out the gospel. God has created each and every one of us for relationship. Started in the Garden of Eden when he shaped Adam out of the dirt and pulled Eve out of Adam's side. He shaped us for relationship. But just like Adam and Eve, we have all chosen sin and rebellion. The tree reminds us of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil in which Adam and Eve first sinned and every one of us have followed their path and their footsteps and chosen to rebel against God and sin against him. But God loved us so much that even though we have rebelled against him and sinned against him and earned for ourselves death and his wrath, he sent his son Jesus Christ who lived a perfect sinless life, who died on a cross to pay the price for your sin and absorb the wrath of God. And give you new life. But you must believe on him as your savior. You must make him the king of your life. Submit to him as the ruler in everything in order to be saved. 
So first it starts with salvation, and then a couple of don'ts. Don't do this. Don't reject God's design and commands for the sake of cultural relevance or acceptance. I'm going to tell you right now, it will, you will not become the most popular person in your friend group if you begin to advocate for and live out submission and love. You, your, your friends will look at you and go, what's wrong with you? Why can't you go drinking? Why can't we go fishing? Why can't we go shopping? Why can't we go out to eat? Well, why don't you just tell him off? Well, why don't you just tell her what to do? You begin to live it out, you will, you will not become the most popular person. But why would we reject God's good design just so people will say, thumbs up, we like you. The second thing is, do not weaponize or abuse God's good design. <laughs> I, I don't have the privilege of doing much marital counseling, but a lot of times when I do... The, the little bit that I do, it ends up with we take scripture and we use it to beat one another over the head. Husbands say stupid things like, well, she doesn't submit. And wives will say silly things like, he doesn't love me enough. Yes, you both should be doing better. But the fact that somebody is falling short is not a reason for you to not do your part. Don't weaponize it, don't use God's word as a club. Men, if it ever comes out of your mouth in any way but a joke and she knows it, submit. You are dumb and are abusing scripture. And even as a joke, you probably shouldn't come out very often, huh? If you're using, and if, ladies, if you're looking at him and go, well, you, you know, you should love me more. God's word says so. Stop using it as a weapon to manipulate and try and get your way and be in charge without being in charge, right? Don't weaponize or abuse God's good design. But do this. Do this. Understand your command. When, when, when God says, wives, who's he talking to? Wives. Yeah, it wasn't a trick question, I promise. Wives. When he says husbands, who's he talking to? Husbands. Understand your command. You may hear him say the, everybody else's uh, commands and orders and, and tell them what to do, but you don't stand back and go, well, he's not or she's not. No, you do what you were commanded to do. In the military, you, you do what you're told to do, not what the guy beside you was told to do. You don't stand there and go, well, how come he gets to carry the big gun? You, you do your job. I don't want to just carry ammo in this little gun. Ah, you do your job. Understand your command and be obedient to what God has commanded you to do. Understand your command. Second, pray. Pray for yourself to be obedient. Pray for your spouse to hear the voice of God and the prompting of the Spirit and to be willing to walk in obedience. Those of you who maybe aren't married right now, or you're looking forward to marriage. Pray for your future or pray for, for others that you know. But you have a role that's equally as vital in making the households that are in our church ones of peace and grace in prayer. And also in this, supporting and proclaiming God's good design. Look, when we as Christians badmouth marriage and talk about and belittle God's good design, why would the next generation want what we 
complain about? Why would, why would children and grandchildren and people that we know who are in our friend group, why would they want to be obedient to God when all we do is complain about what obedience to God looks like? Or we belittle it. Or we ignore it. Support and proclaim in your life, in your lifestyle, in what you advocate for, God's good design. Why do we want to do this? Ultimately, it is because we all, as believers, should want to do everything in word and in deed in the name of the Lord Jesus for his sake, not for ours, to glorify him according to his good plans and desires and design to follow after Christ.